Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. You trade stocks and options, right? Or at least you want to. Don't skip this ad, but pay attention. You're gonna wanna hear this. Do you ever feel like you just don't know which stock to pick? There's so many of them out there. Or maybe you even feel like the market is working against you and that every time you put on a trade, it just seems to go wrong. You're losing, you're sweating, you're always staring at your phone wondering why does this keep happening? My name's Christopher Ewell and I was awarded one of the top 100 people in finance and I'm also the host of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. And I found this awesome service called FinClub.ai that I wanna share with you today. FinClub.ai uses artificial intelligence to deliver you the very best stock picks that I have ever seen. And with these stock picks, you're gonna be trading with the algos out there instead of against them. This is the kind of tech that the big Wall Street banks use whenever they're placing trades. They really do take the guesswork out of trading and their win rates on any given day are between 85 and 95%. It is absolutely unreal and just a little scary just how well this artificial intelligence works. So click here to learn more and use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, and you'll get two weeks of free stock picks delivered to you every single day. And as a bonus offer, you're going to get your first month half off, and that comes after your two-week free trial. So now you've got six weeks to see just how great the stock picks are at finclub.ai, where they take the guesswork out of trading. The market doesn't care about the Fed, do you? That's what we're going to cover today on the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast with special guest Stefan Holler. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, 10 Minute Traders, and welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest back on the line, author of you can, If You Can Order a Pizza, You Can Trade, Stefan Holler, a friend of mine that he and I are going to start doing some uh, other work together, including recording the audiobook version of If You Can Order a Pizza, You Can Trade. Stefan, hey, welcome, and thanks for coming back on the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me back. It's great. Man. It uh, it is great. Uh, Stefan and I we've been we've been talking, and uh, he was looking for somebody to to help him expand and get into the audiobook realm. And he very graciously uh, was uh, selected me that I could read his book. So that will be coming out in the near future. So look for that. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. And I know Stefan's got several other projects that he's working on, and he and I are gonna be collaborating on some more in the future. So I really appreciate that, Stefan. Yes, I appreciate it too because. You definitely have one of the greatest voices on the internet. No way. <laughs> I'm just doing me. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and it's it's what it's so important. You, if you want a, a reader for my book, you need you need a great voice, which you have. But the the narrator also have to understand what he's talking about. He, so he he has to he has to be an options trader which you mm -hmm. are. So you are the perfect choice for my book. 
Well, I, I really appreciate that. That's that's such a flattering statement coming from you. So I, I'm really excited about that. Uh, that's going to be coming up in the next... Uh, I don't know how long it takes to record an audiobook, but we're going to find out together. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a Bavarian-American joint venture. Yes, this is going to be great. Really looking forward to it. So today, we've got Stefan back on the line. He, he actually was quoted in a Forbes article recently, and uh, we'll link that description. Uh, we'll, we'll have a link to that in the description below. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about uh, what he was quoted in that article. He had written an article himself called, The Market Doesn't Care About the Fed, Do You? Now, as you probably know, the Federal Reserve controls a lot of the interest rates and a lot of the other monetary policy uh, but Stefan, I think he is actually on to something here. He's been investigating and doing a lot of research, and uh, we're going to talk about that today. So the floor is yours, Stefan. Tell us all about it. So, I mean, I was thinking the same as most people for a very long time, that the Federal Reserve controls the interest rate market, is responsible for rallies, for crashes, all that kind of stuff. But then I... as as an options trader, I really found out that something is not right. The market doesn't act that it should if the Fed uh, would be this powerful. The market acts random, as mm -hmm. always. So when you, when you trade uh, the, the federal, uh, the FOMC minutes, when they, they always come out on a, on a Wednesday, if you watch the market before, after hours, and... and there's not much change sometimes. Sometimes it's, there is a big change, but not always as you think. So most people think when interest rates, when the Fed raises interest rates, markets go down. When they lower interest rates, markets go up. But the reaction uh, of the markets, is, it's totally random. So I, I did a lot of research and... Then I, I looked into 2018 when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates four times, always by a, every, almost every quarter by a, by a quarter of a percentage point. And then I looked at the market for interest rates because it is not like the Fed says now the interest rate should be two and a half percent. But what the Fed does, it's they say, we are trying to steer the market in that direction by buying or selling short-term papers. That's all. So if you want to look at, uh, at the interest market for, for these short-term papers, the best market is the Eurodollar futures market, uh, forward, forward slash GE. Mm -hmm. This is the future for the Eurodollars. And the name is a little bit misleading because this has nothing to do with the euro currency. Euro dollars or US dollars held outside uh, the United States in, in bank accounts. And uh, these are short-term papers for, uh, with a 90 days uh, maturity. Mm, okay. And... The euro dollars are, are quoted uh, as the price minus the interest rate. So you you have to subtract uh, 
from 100 the actual interest rate. So if the interest rate is 3%, the euro dollar contract uh, should trade at 97. Hmm. So if you okay. see the price in, in the euro dollar of 97, you know, oh, there's an interest rate of 3%. If you see 95, then you know interest rates on short-term interest rates are, are 5%. So what interest rate are you referring to? Is this something that somebody would have to pay on these dollars or is this like yes, a if you, inflation if, rate? If, no, if you if you borrow uh, uh, in this market uh, for short term for 90 days, you have to pay an interest rate for uh, whatever the price is. At the moment, okay. it's I think two and a half percent or something. Okay. Uh, and if you lend out your money, you you get uh, this two and two point four percent on a what, yearly basis. On a yearly right, basis, of course. So, what would be the advantage of somebody who would want to borrow in euro dollars versus borrowing just in dollars or borrowing just in euros? No, it's it's not the advantage. It's it's like a hedge. If you okay. if you have a company and you know. In three months, I will have to borrow a million dollars. Then you can, with with the futures contract, you can lock in the actual interest rate because you don't know where the interest rate will be in three months. But okay. if you think interest rates are very low now, then you have to sell euro dollar futures because if interest rates go up. The uh, the price of the euro dollar futures go down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when it, if interest rates go up and are higher in three months, then you have to pay more interest rate on your loan. But because you already sold uh, futures contracts, you make money when interest rates go up, and therefore the price of the of the euro dollar futures go down because you are short. Okay. That actually makes a lot of sense. So, and, and I, I really appreciate the example there. So, if I were to go out and I needed to borrow in the future a million dollars, and because this contract is worth a million dollars, um, but I feel that rates will go up in the future. So, let's say today they're at two and a quarter percent, and I feel that rates will go up to four uh, percent, for example, in the future. I would want to sell the contract now, yes, and yes. then that would work as a hedge whenever I do go and borrow the funds in the future, correct? Correct. Cool. I so let's say got if, a grasp on that. Okay. If you're wrong, let's say you are wrong and interest rates actually go down and you are uh, short the futures contract, then you lose money. Mm-hmm. But you will, uh, your, your loan will be cheaper in the future. Right. So you're effectively paying a higher interest rate because you were wrong on the trade initially and you still needed the loan later on. No, it's it's the same. You if by by whatever you want by 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 if you want to uh, borrow money in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you short you sell short uh, an interest rates future now uh, euro dollar future then you lock in you you you're guaranteed to have this interest rate. Okay. All right. Because whatever the market does, if interest rates go up, you will have to pay more interest in the future for the money mm-hmm. you actually borrow. Mm-hmm. But you make up because you're making money 
when the future go down. Right. Okay. So as you're as you're describing this, I'm hitch, thinking perfect hitch. Right. So I'm thinking uh, a way for for someone out in the audience to understand this is essentially like let's say that you needed to um let's say you needed to buy a car, okay? And today the interest rate on that car would be 4%. And you're like, okay, I need to buy a car, but I don't need to buy it for like 60 days or so. I'm going to go ahead and secure my loan at 4%. Correct. But in the future, that rate may go up to 5%, which you've made a great, great uh, choice at that point, or it may go down to 3% and you're still stuck at your 4% loan. This happens a lot with mortgages and in, in the US at yes. least. Um, I know I've had to go through this too. You've got a certain rate lock period where uh, for 90 days, maybe you got your mortgage at 4%, but the market rates could change. And if it goes down to 3.5%, you're still stuck with that 4% rate yeah. lock that you've got into. So that's the easiest way that I'm understanding what this means here. You're still going to get the loan with your mortgage at your uh, 4% interest rate, but rates may go up to 5%. Hey, you've done great. Rates may go down to 3.25%. You're stuck. So, okay, yeah. that I, I think that may help clarify that and, with the audience uh, out there. Okay. But Euro-Dollar Futures is, is not, a, not an instrument for the individual investor. Of course, you can trade it. Right. But uh, the big banks, the big banks use this this product to hedge, uh, to hedge uh, against changes in interest rates mm -hmm. or the big companies. So, therefore, this is, uh, it's, it's a million dollars contract. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's not uh, designed for the small investor. No, no, no. Absolutely. That makes sense. So, okay, cool. Well, now that we have an idea of what a euro dollar is, uh, tell me more of how that relates to the article here. The market doesn't care about the Fed. Yeah. So, uh, because it's it should be very sensitive to, to changes in short-term interest rates, so the, the Fed funds rate, one might think uh, when the Fed low, uh, raises interest rates, let's say by a full point, then the price of the euro dollar future should go down by a full point. Because mm -hmm. they're inverse, right? They're inverse correlated to the, to the interest rates. And this is what the Fed did. The Fed did raise interest rates in 2018 by a full percent. So I raised four times by a quarter percent. Mm -hmm. So uh, just let me check the actual number in my article. So before the Federal Reserve started to raise interest rates in, in March uh, 2018, the price of the euro dollar future was at 97.33. So the, the market interest rates were 2.67%. On the euro dollar. On the euro dollar. Uh -huh. And then the Fed raised rates four times. And in December 2018, you would expect the euro dollar future trade somewhere at 96.33. So a mm -hmm. point lower. Right, because interest rates overall move with each other, you would think, 
right? If 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 the Fed's raising rates, you would expect that the euro dollar rates would go up. It would just go hand in hand, right? But that yeah. is that the case? Actually, not because uh, when the year was over in in, uh, in on the last trading day of uh, 2018, the price of the euro dollar future was at 97.29, and interest rates were at uh, 2.71. So basically unchanged. Ha! Huh. After four thought? rate hikes. Right. So where's the power of the Fed? I don't see it. Not on the euro dollar, <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, when the Fed, uh, people always think uh, when when the Fed says we raise interest rates, then they do like this, and the next day interest rates are where they want, uh, where the Fed wanted to be. Mm -hmm. This is not how it works. When the Fed says we raise interest rates, then they mean we try by selling short-term papers to manipulate the interest rates where we want it to have. So the Fed has to go out into the market, and if they want, uh, if they want higher interest rates, they have to sell short-term bonds. If they want uh, lower interest rates, they buy mm -hmm. short-term bonds. And I'm pretty sure they are very frustrated. I mean, the, the people working in the Fed, probably they are they monetarists. They believe you can, uh, the money supply is uh, by, by changing the money supply, by manipulating, by steering the money supply, you can steer the economy. Prices, inflation, all that kind of stuff. And these guys really believe it. I mean, Milton Friedman was, mm -hmm. was uh, the guy who brought this all up. But the reality shows that it's not the case. Hmm. And I mean, when I when I put this article out, I, I, I when I did put it out, I, I had a lot of uh, discussions on Steemit and Twitter because uh, you get a lot of haters. Everyone <laughs> knows. Everyone knows the Fed is responsible for interest rates and responsible for stock market bubbles and all that kind of stuff. But the facts are what they are. And then I, I wrote another article called Does the Fed keep interest rates artificially low? And I put a chart in, in it, uh, a long-term chart. Hey, do you trade options like I do? Then you don't want to skip this. You want to pay attention. I just found the very best options trading platform out there, and I want to tell you all about them. I bet you feel like you're never satisfied with your current options broker, right? Anytime you want to get help, anytime you call them, anytime you email them, you never actually get to talk to a human. And you need to talk to somebody because their platform is so difficult to use. I mean, you've got to go through all these different screens just to place a single trade. And then on top of that, their commissions are eating you alive. You can't even make money because the commissions cost more than your profits. My name is Christopher Ewell and I was awarded one of the top 100 people in finance and I'm also the host of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. And Tastyworks is the platform that I use and I recommend. Yeah, I know they got a funny name, but you're going to want to learn more about this platform. It was built by options traders for options traders. So if you're an options trader, you definitely want to check out Tastyworks. It was built on the back of high frequency trading technology. So you're going to be getting close to the best fills possible. 
And on top of that, their commission structure, it's almost unbeatable. It's only $1 per leg to open a trade and $0 per leg to close a trade. So click the link to check out Tastyworks today and use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, to get over $150 in free 10 Minute Trader exclusive bonuses just for signing up for a Tastyworks account. It really doesn't get easier than that. You're going to get the best platform that I've ever used, and you're going to get free bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. So make sure you check out Tastyworks and use the code 10MINUTE, and you'll be just as blown away as I was by Tastyworks and their options trading platform built by traders for traders. interest rates on the 10-year treasury notes because 10-year treasuries are the kind of the benchmark of the worldwide benchmark of, of interest rates mm -hmm. and if you look at the chart then you see uh, interest rates peaked in 1981 uh, the highest point was 15.84 percent so almost 16 percent on a 10-year bond that well first off that's um that's unbelievable so let's let's back that up again for the audience real quick in 1981 let me get the exact number here yeah in 1981 the 10-year bond had a rate of 15.84 percent and the 10-year bond is what a lot of things are based on right uh, yeah. mortgages we talked about mortgages earlier a lot of them peg off the 10-year point so imagine, we're talking about getting mortgages at 3 and 4% just a minute ago. Imagine if you're looking at mortgages in the 16 to 19% range. That makes it a lot harder to afford a house or to afford anything, really. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the cost of borrowing money is, uh, is exceptionally high. That's not an environment conducive to economic growth because nobody can afford anything, right? If it's going to cost me 20% more on everything I buy... And it's just going to be hard to buy stuff. That's the yeah. way I look at it. And uh, this was a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, in, in Germany, it was almost the same. Uh, we had about 12 or 13 percent on our 10-year bonds in Germany. Now they have a, some days uh, now they have a negative interest rates on the, on the German 10-year bond. Mm -hmm. they, they're hovering around zero. Basically, it was sometimes they move in negative territory. Yeah, maybe uh, this is probably the hardest thing to understand. How can you get paid for borrowing money? Right. But it is not how it works. So people need to understand when when bond prices go up, interest rates go down. Mm -hmm. So when lots of people buy bonds, they're driving prices higher, like in stocks, and then the interest rate on this bond goes down. Mm -hmm. Because uh, let's say you have a bond with a face value of 100 and 3% uh, yield on this bond. And uh, the bond matures in, in 12 months. So you're buying this government bond, hold it for a year. After a year, you get paid $103. Mm -hmm. You get your money back plus uh, the 3% interest rate. Right. Now, if the price of this bond, because uh, 
bonds are trading every day in the market. If the price of this bond goes up to, let's say, uh, $102, and I buy the bond from you for $102, mm -hmm. then I collect the three, the $3 in interest from the US government, and after 12 months, I get paid uh, the $100 back you paid. Interesting. Okay. So I I bought the bond from you for 100 and what did you say? Three. 102. That's what you uh, said. 102 dollars. Yeah. And I get paid back 103 dollars. So my profit is only one dollar. One dollar. Huh. And my interest rate that I got was much lower. Right. So let's say I buy this bond. I buy this bond for the price of $105 from you. Then I get paid $103. And the 3% interest. Right. So my, my, I have a negative rate. So why would I anybody pay. do that? Well, sometimes uh, it's a greater fool theory. So mm -hmm. I buy it for 105 and I hope I can sell it for 110. Mm -hmm. Then uh, sometimes uh, there are a lot of investment funds and and insurance companies. They aren't allowed to invest in other stuff than government bonds. Oh, okay. And and one problem problem in Germany is uh, it's a it's a really tight market. The U.S. bond market is is the biggest market in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the market for for German bonds gets gets smaller and smaller because. Uh, the German government hasn't been borrowing for five or six years. We have a balanced budget. What so is that? <laughs> <laughs> we have, is that possible? <laughs> yes, it is, but we have the highest tax rates in the world. So, oh, okay. Well, that makes only, a little different. Only, only Belgium has a, has a higher tax rate than we have. So, as, as all these old government bonds get paid back, and and uh, the the German government is not borrowing new money. The market gets smaller and smaller. And there's there is demand for for German government bonds because they are the the gold standard in in the euro currency. Everyone thinks okay, Germany is safe, the safest place to uh, for your money mm -hmm. compared to to a Greek bond or an Italian bond, and there's a very high demand, and yeah, and it worked. I mean, the, the the German bond prices have been going up for at least ten years or something. So the yeah. great theory, it's it's like your housing bubble. Mm, okay. So 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 what you're saying is that investors there care more about the price of the bond than the yield of the bond. Yes. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. yeah. That okay. I can I can get on more with that. Then that makes sense. Okay. And so when you let's get back to the to the chart. When you when you look at this, uh, I have to fire my iPad. <clears throat> so so bond prices peaked in 1981. Right. And been going down since then. Right. They're moving around, but basically the trend is 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 down. So right. if you just look at this chart, everyone would say, yeah, this must be the Fed. The Fed. With all this QE and something, 
clearly you can see here they they are manipulating interest rates down. So right. if you but if you scroll down uh, to the next chart, then uh, I did put these arrows in when mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve started QE and when they ended QE. So let's describe it for the podcast audience real quick that that don't have the uh, the visual in front of them. Um, and I'll, I'm going to pop it up on the screen here. So essentially what, what you've got is uh, you've got a peak in 1981 and then a pretty much almost diagonal line from yeah. that point down. Um, uh, peaking at 15% and change going down in the low 2% range, it looks like. Uh, and so, so that's what Stefan's talking about here is that the, it must have been the Fed that caused this, this uh, run down in interest rates. But what, uh, what really is the case here? So as you can see, uh, before the Federal Reserve started QE, uh, interest rates on the 10-year Treasury bond have been 2.9%, 2.93. And if you look very closely, you can you can click this chart to enlarge it. Uh, by the start of QE, interest rates went down a little bit and then they went up for some time. So, the, the complete opposite reaction you would expect. And then they went down away, uh, so it went down and up and down. And uh, at the end of QE, uh, the interest rates have been at uh, 2.35%. So and nowadays we have around, we are around 2.5%. Uh, so you're so, saying that at the start of QE, which costs four and a half trillion dollars. Yeah. We had rates at 2.9. At the end of QE, after we've spent our four four and a half trillion dollars, we have rates at two and a half. Yeah. So nothing really changed. Nothing over, really changed. Over the course of time. I mean, we're talking 40 basis points here. We're not talking four percentage points. We're talking 40 basis points. Yeah. So a basis point for the audience out there is is the, you know, zero dot four zero. That's 40 basis points. Yeah. Interesting. And, and wow. before, and before, uh, from 1981 to 2007, 2008, they went down 1,291 basis points. That's that's nothing. That's jump change. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. In all honesty, that's that's a huge, huge change here. I mean, we're talking a, a 30, 30 times magnitude yeah. uh, from 1981 to 2008. And the reduction of rates, and that did not have uh, any QE involved with it, correct? No. Or it may have had some, but not to the level no. of this. No. And okay. I mean, if you if you look very closely at at all the charts, the the Federal Reserve is a is a trend follower. Mm -hmm. So the market reprices interest rates. Let's say the markets. Uh, raises the price for the future, so interest rates go down. And after that, usually the Federal Reserve follows hmm. with their announcement. Now we are going to. So they are, they are always behind. Yeah. And the theories, and which is, which is also wrong, uh, the Fed is creating money out of thin air 
and that's that's the theory right i wish i could this, do that checking this liquidity into into the market mm-hmm. but it's not it's not money creation it is an asset swap because the money to buy those bonds was already there because the fed doesn't buy uh these bonds from the tesh- from the u.s treasury that's not allowed this actually, this would be money printing. If the Fed would go out and buy directly from the from the U.S. Treasury, this mm-hmm. would be money printing, and this would cause great inflation. We experienced okay. it in the 1920s in Germany. This was yeah. actually what what did the German Central Bank? Uh, they really printed money, but what the Fed does nowadays, they buy from the big banks. Mm-hmm. The, the government, when the government wants to borrow money, they do an auction and they have their primary de- primary dealers. So the big banks are sitting in there and are bidding for the uh, for the government bonds. And whatever the price is at this auction, the government has to pay this interest rate. And then the Fed goes on, out into the market and buys whoever is selling to them. So now they have these bonds on their balance sheet and the, the banks get uh, Federal Reserve money mm-hmm. on their Federal Reserve bank account. So and it's probably not an a huge amount of interest on it, but we're talking trillions of dollars. So you don't need a large interest rate on trillions of dollars that's government backed. Uh, for this to be uh, a very lucrative option, right? I mean, the way I'm looking at it is it's like, if if I'm loaning Stefan a trillion dollars, I mean, he's only got to pay me 50 basis points, for example, and I just made like $550 million or something like that. I mean, it's it's a lot of money that's just essentially going and parking at the Fed, correct? Yes, and it's uh, not a long time ago, I think, uh, for... For the whole time, until three or four years, the Fed didn't pay no interest on this money. Really? Okay. And they changed it, I'm not sure, about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, they, now they pay a little interest uh, on this money. But uh, the banks can't really do much stuff with this money. Uh, you have to, for this money, you have to uh, park 10% of that at the Federal Reserve. Right. So if a bank run happens or something, you're liquid enough to pay out all your customers. And this is not the problem. They, most, most banks have enough cash. Mm-hmm. So now this, this money is sitting there and they're lending it to each other. But they, they can't do much stuff about it, uh, with it. So it's, it doesn't really have much of an impact. When you have more money floating around in the market, when people have more money, they buy more, mm-hmm. they invest more or something. But it's the other way around. When people buy, when people produce, when people invest, money gets created. Because when you go to your bank and ask for a loan, it's not like they go down to their safe box, pull the money out and give it to you. Right. No. They they assess your your creditworthiness. 
say looking into you, let's say you asking for $500,000. Then they do an evaluation if Chris Yule is, is worth $500,000. So have you the, do you have the ability to make enough money in the markets by producing, by selling your products, by selling your uh, other stuff or selling your service to pay back those loans? Mm-hmm. And if they think, yes, you can do this, they credit your account with $500,000 and they say on the other side of the balance sheet, uh, they credit themselves with, uh, with the loan they gave to you. Right, with an asset for the loan, right. Yeah. And this is how money gets created. Mm-hmm. It is not, the money is not created out of thin air. Because it's just an assessment of your future production. And then you produce, you sell your goods, you sell your services, you make money, you pay back your loan. Mm-hmm. And after that, when you, when you have repaid uh, the whole loan, the money is gone again. Mm-hmm. So when you borrow money, you are not really borrowing money you're borrowing what you can buy with the money. You can borrow, you borrow machines, you borrow mm. software, you borrow buildings. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Money, money is just a, a documentation of, of, the, uh, of this process. Huh. So okay. I, I have an article on Steemit uh, about where I, where I make a comparison. Uh, when somebody wants to buy a, a truck to, mm-hmm. to become a self-employed truck driver in a world where money exists and in a world where no money exists. Ah, okay. Actually, that sounds really at interesting. the moment, it's, uh, this article is, in, is only in German. I, I will translate it to, into English, uh, I hope, next week or so. But uh, they are making this, this example. So uh, in a world without money, uh, the truck driver goes to the to a seller of the truck and asks him if he can can have the, this truck. And then he says, "Yes, but you got to pay me uh, one hundred thousand. Sorry, this is this is in the world with money." Uh, uh-huh. He says, "Yes, but uh, I really like Russian caviar. So okay. I want to have one hundred kilogram of Russian caviar." This at nowadays price, it's it's about one hundred thousand. Oh, okay. Euro, maybe one hundred thousand, one hundred twenty thousand dollars or something. So he says, okay, I know a guy, uh, a caviar producer in Russia. I will deliver his caviar to Europe, and he will pay me in caviar. And when I when I have earned a large caviar, I give you the caviar. And because you give me the you give me the uh, truck now, I will pay you an interest rate. Mm-hmm. You are demanding you wanted 100 kilograms of caviar for the truck now, but because I can't give you the caviar now, I need let's say a year to earn all this caviar. I will pay you 110 kilograms of caviar. So the 10% is your interest rate because the seller of the truck takes a risk. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know if uh, 
the other party bounces on his loan. Yeah. So interest rates are really a, a risk premium. Oh, okay. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's, part of it is a risk premium. And part of it is, is just a, uh, you get paid for the waiting period. Because mm-hmm. I can, uh, if I lend money to you, I can't uh, use my money now. Correct, right. I have paid you for my money, so you pay me a rent for my money. And a part of it is, is a risk premium. So, and then he, 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 does, uh, he delivers all the caviar. When he has made enough caviar, he pays uh, the truck salesman the caviar. Mm-hmm. So in this example, he has bought a truck. And with this truck, right. he made enough caviar to pay for the, uh, for the truck. But now the, the truck salesman has had to take the risk. And he had to do the job as a risk assessment. But is not, he's not an expert in assessing risk. He's an expert in selling trucks. Mm-hmm. So in a world without, in a world with money, he can outsource. He he outsources the risk taking to a bank. Right. The bank takes a risk. The bank assesses the risk. He they they evaluate if if the truck driver is is good for the loan, and the the uh, salesman of the truck gets paid no interest because he gets a check and gets his money right uh, when the other when the truck driver buys the truck, and now the bank gets the interest rate, the risk mm-hmm. premium, and now. The bank, the bank are the banks are experts. They should be experts, right? In, right. In risk taking and in yeah. risk assessment, we know that sometimes they f up, like in the <laughs> banking crisis. Right. But this is their job. So, but in both cases, he has bought a truck. Mm-hmm. And the first he bought the truck directly, and the other. Case he borrowed money and then pays the truck, but right. he borrowed the truck to make his money. Right. So money is just a facilitator. Mm-hmm. It makes things easier. Right. But money is not. But money is not a good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's a, a great example. So, so uh, on your articles here and on the charts and everything, do we want the money that you know, has been not printed, but the money that's been, uh, I guess, expensed by the Fed for QE that didn't result in a large change in interest rates at the end of QE. Would we have wanted rates to go up during that time? Or was the result what we had wanted to see happen? Because I just... Just conjecturing here, it almost sounds like it was um, a wasted effort to have had yes. all this time, all this money, yes. and nothing this really is, happened. This is my opinion. Okay. We, we don't need a central bank. Mm-hmm. There's no need for it. All they do has has almost no impact, so why have them? Hmm. Now, I can see why people on uh, on Twitter... And steam it and everywhere else would come out of the woodworks on there. What do you mean we don't need a central bank? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why? Uh, we can do this. Uh, there's another 
maybe I hope maybe in the future we don't even need banks. Mm-hmm. We, Just have blockchains? Maybe, but uh, uh, whatever the technology is, but something like uh, peer-to-peer credits or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see where we where we end up, but uh, in a in a world when where everyone is connected over the internet, money finds its producer. Right. Somewhere in the world is somebody who wants to produce but has no money. On the other part of the world, somebody sits who has money uh, but doesn't want to produce. It in the old days it, it was pretty hard that these mm-hmm. two people find each other. Like we found each other. Maybe right. we found each other on Twitter, yeah. So maybe in the in the future we don't need banks at all. And yeah. There's another very interesting article I, I wrote on on Steemit about the you need you need to read this uh, about the Irish banking strike. Okay, so is in it the, in German or is it in English? It's in English. Okay, great. So in the I'm gonna link that below for everyone as well. It's called "What Happens When All the Banks Close." What happens? <laughs> so. If you ask somebody, he would say, uh, civil war breaks out, chaos, people. That's my first thought. Hey, to... if, if you can't pay me, we're not doing business together anymore. If I can't go to my job and the job doesn't have access to their funds at the bank, I'm not coming back to my job. So yeah. that's my first thought. Yeah. People start to riot. Uh, streets are burning. Cars are burning. Yeah. People kill each other, whatever. So I didn't know that. Uh, I, uh, half a year ago, I would have said the same. But uh, when I did the, re- uh, the re- research for my for my next book, my book about money and interest rates, uh, I'm already writing. I found a story about the Irish banking strike. Hmm. So in the late 60s, early 70s, all the banks went on strike in Ireland. Really? For almost. They had too much Guinness, was, is what happened, right? They, my, they were... <laughs> it was, it, yeah, but Guinness is a, we, we get to Guinness. Oh, really? Okay, all right. I was just making a joke, who knew? An, a beer plays an important part in the story. So all the banks went on strike. <coughs> Sorry. And nobody knew how long, but uh, I think it was six or seven months. No banks. You couldn't get no cash. Mm-hmm. There was no online banking at those ti- at this time, and nothing really happened. People wrote each other checks, and when they ran out of uh, check formulas, they wrote on paper. Yeah, an IOU, right? Okay. Yeah, they they wrote IOUs, and now we come to the Guinness. Uh-huh. Uh In Ireland, they have a a, a big. Uh, pub culture. Everyone goes to the pub. Right. And the owner of the pub knows his customers. He knows exactly who pays his debt and who is good for, for a credit and who is not good for a credit. Mm-hmm. So the pubs and the, the, the small local stores uh, for food or something accepted this IOUs. Okay. On and they paid their customers, uh, their, their employees with this IOUs, and they oh. paid their, uh, the people who, who uh, where they bought their their goods, 
uh, with this IOUs and this IOUs circulated mm-hmm. and the economy kept going. And when the uh, strike ended, it took about three months to, to clear all these checks. Yeah. But very, very, very few checks bounced. Fewer huh. than usually bounce. Interesting. So hopefully, if we ever get to this situation, I mean, in, in those days, in our days, it would be much easier. You can do it online and all this kind of stuff. But there were no riots. There were yeah. not a lot of check bounce. So people work together. That's, people, that's actually what I was just thinking. We're all in this together. We got to make yeah. it work. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Like, that's a great story. Uh, I'd never even heard of that. This, this was uh, how money, most people, the, the old story goes, yeah, this, uh, uh, in the first time there was barter, and then uh, people exchanged precious metals, and then uh, paper money, which have been a certificate of precious metals evolved. In yeah. You know what? Thinking about this a little bit more, I think you just described fiat currencies there. Because let's say you remove the euros in this case, or the dollars or whatever, it's it's a literal piece of paper. So yeah. people were taking other pieces of paper and yes. transacting business in that way. Wow. Huh. That's kind of interesting promise, to think about I promise that. you, I promise yeah. you to pay. And this is what, what most historians say. It's how, how money evolved. Yeah, that's what it there's, a, like. there's a great book uh, by David Graeber. Uh, he did a lot of research, and he found out it was not the case. It was it has always been IOUs, mm-hmm. and some in in times of war, it uh, they went mostly to to gold because people trust don't didn't trust each other, but uh, in in communities where there were no government, uh, it, it always has been IOUs. Huh, who would have thought? And, and not IOUs on money, but IOUs on bread or meat or yeah. beer or something. Right. This is the, huh. the only reason we need money is because you want to have a certain good, uh-huh. but I can't deliver you the, this good. Right. So somebody has to give the other side uh, of the of the trade credit. Right. Yeah. And if we have banks, if we have banks, then the banks do the job of giving credit. But Uh if there are no banks, let's say I'm a I'm a farmer and uh, my crops will be uh, ready in three months. I will pay you. I give you an IOU. I will deliver you uh, wheat or something. But in three months. Mm-hmm. Now you can keep this IOU and wait until my my crops are finished and uh, and you get your your wheat, or you can use this IOU and give it to somebody as a payment. Right. And then this IOU circulates. Yeah. And maybe in the end it ends up by me again. Right. So huh. this is how it works. So. What I think you just described goes back to what we're calling this podcast. The market, like we're just describing here, doesn't care about the Fed. So why should you? 
Very interesting. I actually like how we were able to circle that back around. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Well, perfect. Well, uh, Stephen, let's uh, let's tell people where they can find you at. Where is the best place to find distinguished author, Forbes contributed uh, person here, and all around great, intelligent guy? Where can they find you at? Thank you. So you can find me on on Twitter. Stay holler. Uh-huh. S-T-E holler. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram under the same handle. And you can find me on Steemit under the same name. So uh, these articles I, I just uh, talked about, I, I post them on Steemit, of course. Mm-hmm. But when I have uh, new stuff, I always post uh, links to it on, on Twitter. Perfect. And, um, yeah. And there awesome. will be, in, uh, hopefully in six months, all the stuff we talked about today, of course, will be a new book. Will be the new book. About money and interest rates. And hopefully, I will have an impact. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. And of well, course, perfect. I hope you give me your voice again for the audio you know what when you i will i will guarantee it yeah. <laughs> i am i'm looking forward to it yeah absolutely so, yeah so thank you so much for coming on today um i i've really enjoyed this conversation i i've learned a lot uh this has been really great yeah it's great perfect well hey thank you guys so much for tuning into today's how to trade stocks and options podcast be sure to like and subscribe and uh, go follow Stephen on, on everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, make sure you come back next time for more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster, trade smarter. And Stephen and I will both see you on, uh, on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know you're a listener, but are you a watcher? Make sure you head on over to YouTube, type in 10 Minutes Stock Trader, and subscribe to the 10MinuteStockTrader.com YouTube channel. Every week, I upload all the podcasts as full videos, and that way you're getting the full 10-minute trading experience. That way you can have all the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you're listening to, and leave me a five-star review if you don't mind. That would be fantastic. And whenever you're done with that, head on over to 10MinuteStockTrader.com and download the one-minute options trading quick start guide. It'll give you all the tools, tips, and tricks that I use in my own portfolio, and it never gets outdated, and it will apply to every single options trade out there. So I think it'll be pretty useful for you. And while you're there, check out the free portfolio page. That'll show you everything that I've traded over the last year in full transparency. And since you're on the website already, check out the free trading course. In this free trading course, I give you every single thing that I know and use in my own portfolio, and I definitely think it'll help you out too. And then after you're done there, head on over to tastyworks.com and sign up using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10MINUTE, and I'll send you over $150 in free 10-minute trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. And most of all, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have connected today and that you've chosen to put me inside your earbuds. That means the absolute world to me. And thank you so much for stopping by. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. 
Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and his StockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit timandstocktrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.